All right, and welcome back to another episode of Favorite Things with Mark and Betsy. Um, and so continuing our new format uh, that I'm hoping is one that we settle into really well here soon, uh, <laughs> of Betsy brings some of her favorite things to the table as well as I bring mine. And uh, this week we're going to be covering another rom-com and we're going to be covering the... Uh, Second set of three episodes from WandaVision. So, uh, this week, hun, what what was your pick for this week? I picked 27 Dresses. Okay, so <laughs> why did you pick 27 Dresses? So, I, w- I was talking to one of my coworkers the other day, and um, she... Uh, I, was talk- I was talking about something about a place I was applying to work at, and it caused her to remember a scene from 27 dresses about pedro uh-huh um and so she started talking about it and it's been so long since i've seen this movie i remember we used to own it when it was on when we had dvds in the house yes so we, we still have one or two dvds <laughs> yeah. in the house but, but we, we don't, don't we don't have the 400 that we had right. shortly after we got married so um but I to- I completely forgot basically everything about this movie except this girl been a bridesmaid like twenty seven times. Yeah. So uh, so after she she said that and so we talked about it for a minute. So I'm like, oh, that's a good movie. I think that might be my pick for this week. Okay. So it was. So thank you, Jennifer McReynolds, for you know picking helping me pick the movie this week. It's all right. So. Um, yeah, I, I don't have a whole lot more intro for yeah. this. I, I remembered uh, a decent amount of the movie. Uh, I mocked it a little bit more than Marry Me. Um, I, you didn't mock it too much last night. I, I'll be honest, I was also a little tired yesterday. I did fall asleep uh, yeah. before the end of the movie. Um, I'm going to try for that not to be a running theme on these rom-coms. Uh, it's like me with X-Men. <laughs> Or Godzilla. You Godzilla. have never made it all the way through Godzilla. I have not. Um, we'll save that for when we go through Godzilla. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, this uh, this is one that I watched all the way through with you back when we were married for just over a year. Mm-hmm. Uh came out in 2008. It was a big year for Katherine Heigl. Um, she had been on... Uh, Grey's Anatomy at that point for roughly four years. Uh, she'd had a breakout role in the film Knocked Up, and then she followed it up with this. And uh, she kind of got pigeon-toed into uh, rom-coms over the course of the next few years. She still occasionally does one here and there, but during her time in the limelight, uh, at least through tabloids and through uh, some behind-the-scenes stories, she's gained a reputation of being hard to work with. So she still does work. She she still does um, stuff. I do not know Katherine Heigl. I have no idea if any of these rumors are true. These are literally just rumors that have come out and been spread out in, in the greater pop culture. Yeah internet so um are they true or not i don't know i know that she is not uh she is not front and center as much as she was um and there are multiple reasons that that could be and i will draw attention to one uh that i i will say up front 
and that is that Hollywood has historically been, and at least in part, maybe not as much as it used to be, but it still does it, uh, is sexist and ageist, especially towards women. Um, An example of this is that uh, Ray Fiennes, uh, who played... uh, uh, Voldemort, uh, and I just watched a movie with him yesterday that wasn't very good. Uh, uh, modern movie just came out on streaming. Um, he played, uh, he and Kristen Scott Thomas played lovers in, in the film uh, The English Patient. Mm-hmm. So uh, a short 10, 15 years later, they're roughly contemporaries, age-wise. He is playing the lover of a woman young enough to be his daughter and Kristen Scott Thomas is playing the the mother of this woman and he and the younger woman are played as contemporaries mm-hmm. and that's that's an example of, of the way Hollywood yeah. operates traditionally yeah and uh, it's not cool but it, it is. And it's the reason that you will typically see younger women populate the roles in these rom-coms. And you don't traditionally see older women get to play those out. There are exceptions, but um, yeah. So let's talk about what we like about this movie. Um, let's talk about what we don't like about this movie. And then I'm going to let you break down the plot. Okay. So... Right off the bat, what do you like about this movie? Hmm. What do I like about it? That was a really long pause for a podcast called Favorite Things. Yes. I mean, it's a movie. I like the movie. I enjoy it. I'm trying to think of different things that pop out to me that I'm like, okay, what makes this one stand out? So, watching this, this felt very much like a... Uh, a paint-by-numbers rom-com. Yes. It, it didn't seem like anything that was super special standout. Um, right. It was predictable. Just like, oh, oh it's incredibly predictable, but it, it, it felt... I felt like the most special thing about the movie is why it got its title. And it's the concept of this woman has been a bridesmaid 27 times and yeah. for whatever reason kept all the dresses. Yeah. And that's an interesting conceit. And I wish they would have played more with it and instead of it becoming an accessory to the plot. Yeah. Because that's not the main through line of the film. No, it's not. And that was kind of, in hindsight, disappointing. Um, the things that they focus on instead are so pedestrian that I feel like it makes this movie lesser. Yeah. Um, the thing this movie chooses to focus on, which could have been interesting, but ultimately kind of falls flat, is the way it plays up the rivalry between her and her sister. Yeah. And her crushing on her boss at work. Right. Which is a weird work dynamic and... I, I said multiple times during the movie, she should quit this job. Yeah. She should quit this job now. Yeah. Um, and and also, and I, I will give props to the writers for saying this, multiple times in this movie, she should say no to people, and she doesn't. Right. And there is, and her love interest, played by James Marston, uh, tells her multiple times, you should say no. Yeah. Um, 
And it would have, I think it would have been very interesting in this movie had they, had they fallen more into her, her desire to be there for the brides. Yeah. And, and how that affects her globally rather than just in the relationship with this boss or just in the relationship with her sister. The next problem I have is, uh, I love Malin Ackerman. She's a fantastic actress. Loved her in Watchmen. She was totally miscast as the sister in this film. Yeah. Um, One thing I I noticed in there after you had mentioned that last night was, now I can't remember her name again, but she's Jan from The Office. uh, Melora Hardin. Yes. So as I was watching, I'm like, they could totally be sisters. They would have played better sisters. And it would have been... They have a similar look and everything. It would have been an interesting dynamic also if instead of her being the older sister, she was the younger sister. And she was the younger sister who wanted to be traditional, but the older sister wanted to toss everything out the window. Right. And and that would have been, again, an, an additional kink that, that could have created some yeah. drama. However. That's not how it happened. <laughs> that's not how it happened, and that's not how it played out. Yeah. Um, it's, it's an interesting movie. Uh, it, it's a weird rom-com wrinkle for me in this that, so she, and spoilers, she ends up getting with James Marston yeah. at the end, getting married to him. They don't really have an actual romance no. through the film, no. which is weird. Um, in a lot of rom-coms, usually by about the, the second act break, there is an actual romance. There Maybe they don't... Um, Maybe they don't say I love you by the second act break because you need that for the third act resolution. But usually by then, there's at least mutual attraction. Uh, They're uh, hanging out like friends. They're actually friendly towards each other or frenemy towards each other. Whereas James Marston in this, uh, pardon my French, he's an asshole. (laughs) Um, And he's, you understand why. Uh, because, and I need to pull out my tablet to, to verify this. I'm pretty sure this movie was written by a man. Um, <laughs> but, uh, we get a reason why James Marston is being such a jerk. But at the same time, I don't buy them falling in love with each other. Uh, by the time this movie ends, I can see them starting to date. Yeah. But the clean resolution of they, there needs to be a wedding where she's the bride at the end right. kind of rushes past that. Literally, their relationship is, hey, I found out this girl is kind of interesting. Um, I find her attractive, but she's an interesting subject. I'm going to write about her. Then he proceeds to fall in like with her. Mm-hmm. She does not like him. No. Uh, they get drunk and have sex. And the next morning immediately have the falling out that would typically follow, follow an actual romance, not just a one night stand. Right. At the end of that, honestly, it should be a clean break. There should be no further conversations between the two of them yeah. because there's no actual relationship. They had sex. 
both of them at that point should be willing to say, okay, this was a mistake and right. move on. Um, but that's not how it goes because we need to follow the formula, even though we're breaking the formula. Yeah. <laughs> and by the end of the movie, he has proposed and they are getting married. And we get the really cute scene of all the 27 dresses are there on all of her bridesmaids, which I have to imagine is the most expensive wedding ever. Um, so all of this goes down and I'm just like, why are these people together at the end of this movie other than... Well, I guess you're good enough for second place. Yeah. And that's really weird. Yeah. <laughs> so, with me saying all of this, <laughs> why do you like this movie? <laughs> because it's a really good romantic comedy okay. and it's just enjoyable. It's cheesy, it's stupid, so, it's So, I threw I threw a bunch at you there. Yeah, let me like... let me see what I do like about this movie. I do like Katherine Heigl and James Marston's uh, chemistry. I do feel like they do have really good yeah. conversational chemistry. Is there good romantic chemistry? I don't know. But there is good chemistry between the two of them. I believe the two of them could like each other. Yeah. Could come to enjoy each other's company. Uh, I, I don't think the writing serves that, but I do believe the two of them together. Yeah. Um, I do like the general casting of this movie with the exception of the dad who somehow seems younger when he gets older in the right. film. They show him at the early part of the movie and apparently give him a hairpiece to make him look younger. But it makes him look it way older. It makes him look so much older. He looks like he Benjamin Button 20 years between the opening of the movie and when you see him as an old man. It's like, oh man, I, I gotta be honest, being a widower is good for you. You should yeah. you should kill more wives. And <laughs> and the the whole movie just it it's really well cast. Melora Hardin is great as as James Marston's boss. Mm -hmm. Um Jonathan from 30 Rock, I don't know his actual name. Uh is yeah. is great as James Marston's best friend. Um I love Judy Greer, who I'd just been talking to Betsy uh, yesterday about doing motion capture in the second Planet of the Apes movie. Also from listening to a Team Coco podcast where she gave uh, an interview. Um, and let's see, who else? Malin Ackerman is miscast, but does good with the works. Uh, Ed Burns is just Ed Burns. He's the same character that he was in The Holiday. That's another one that we can watch eventually. Um, I'm trying to place his face. So in in The Holiday, he is Cameron Diaz's ex who slept with her best friend. Um, oh, so he's like the main guy in this. Yes, like he's the he's the guy that Marzen. he is okay, the guy yeah. that Katherine Heigl wants to be with. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so he's that guy. He mumbles out of the side of his mouth. He's a decent actor, but he's never really taken off. I'd say his most prolific role is in the movie Saving Private Ryan, and he's still probably third build in that movie. He's he's not huge. Yeah. Um, but at the same time in this, he's never a bad guy, which is nice. It's nice that the guy that is going to get maybe he's he's going to get a happy ending but it's not the happy ending of the movie yeah it's it's nice that he's not a jerk in most of these movies he would be a jerk right 
Um, and it's it's good it doesn't work out that way. Right. So with all that said, as much as I've thrown all sorts <laughs> of shade at this movie, and I don't think it's a bad movie. I no. think it I think it has numerous flaws that are inherent in every chick flick. I don't know about every chick flick. I think it's it's this space and time. I remember yeah. as we were watching it last night thinking this is the best rom-com from 1994. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, it was released in 2008. And uh, it, it, it feels like it. It doesn't quite feel like a movie from 2008. And we're watching this in 2022. This yeah. is 14 years after the fact. And so I, I'm sitting there watching a time capsule of what feels like another time capsule. Yeah. So it's not bad. It's yeah. it's an enjoyable watch. Uh, don't let the fact that I fell asleep two thirds of the way through <laughs> fool you. This this is an enjoyable watch. I I just uh, it baffles me yeah. that now as I say this, we're going to talk about some sci-fi stuff where logic leaps are nothing new. So don't <laughs> don't don't let my prejudice against these logic leaps. Fool you. If you love rom-coms, enjoy this. Yeah, it's a great movie. I like it. Oh, a great movie. If you like rom-coms, it's a great movie. Can we give the, <laughs> can we give the qualifier of it? It's a great rom-com. It's a great rom-com. There you go. Because <laughs> I feel Which like... Is a movie. Because I feel like... Uh, <laughs> I, th I feel like when you get to great movie, we're, we're talking about, like, Lawrence of Arabia or... Wizard of Oz, or Citizen Kane, or Singing in the Rain. Would you put this up there with Wizard of Oz or Singing in the Rain in quality of movies? Probably not. Okay, so maybe we back it down to, this is a decent movie and a great rom-com. Okay. Okay. Agree to disagree on the greatness, but we can agree on it's a great rom-com. Yeah. Okay. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Betsy is going to do her best to regal you with the, the plot of the movie as she remembers it. Yeah, because we know my memory's not that great. And she's going to have to give me a refresher on filling in the gap between uh, the second act break slash third act break and the very end of the movie uh, when we return. Betsy, tell us all, me, the cats, all two and a half of our listeners, <laughs> who, what, where, why, how, when, just all tell, right. us, tell us the plot. Okay, so it starts out. Um, you have Jane and Tess. Um, Jane is the older sister. Tess is the little sister. It starts out at a wedding. I'm mm -hmm. guessing Jane is 11, 12 years old. Yeah. And Tess is probably eight or nine. And uh, she's just kind of looking around, watching, and she walks up the aisle to where her dad is sitting, waiting, trying to tie a bow into, into Tess's hair as a recently widowed man. He's yeah. trying to take care of two little girls. And so Jane quickly stepped in, fixed the bow, and Tess's hair when Tess asked to go to the bathroom. 
And so, uh, and so dad uncomfortably is looking like, uh, what do I do here? She's asking me to take her to the bathroom. And Jane steps in and takes her to the bathroom where, um, they run into the bride. Mm-hmm. That is their, her cousin. And the back of her dress is completely ripped off the seam. Yeah. Um, and so she's trying to figure out what to do. And then Tess comes out of the, the bathroom stall when Jane looks at the bride and looks at the big bow in her sister's hair that she had just tied mm-hmm. and smiles. And then the next thing you see is this this ribbon loop through however she did that. Who knows how an 11 year 12 year old could figure that out that fast. But she fixed... Movie <laughs> yeah. magic! She uh, she fixed the back of the bride's dress and made it look look intentional and not like the bride had completely ripped the back of her dress. And thus was born a seamstress. <laughs> so um, the bride said, here Jane, you can hold the train of my dress while I walk down the aisle. Yes. And from that, that moment on, she made it her life goal to love weddings and to be in as many weddings as she could. So then uh, the next scene is um, she's a bridesmaid in a wedding. Mm-hmm. Or it shows her trying on a, a wedding dress, actually. Yes. And so, because the as it's going on, the narration before that, between the scenes, was I couldn't wait for one day for it to be my own wedding. Mm-hmm. And so then it's flashes to her in a wedding gown and so the audience is like oh she's getting married yes it turns out she's the exact same size as the bride that is getting married that day but the bride could not make it to this last fitting i'm still here i'm just grabbing my tablet okay. to pull up the movie um so the um so she uh she's taking this dress to the to the bride in her bridesmaid's dress, and then along the way, she meets up with, um, with, um, what did we say her name a little while ago? Greer? Judy Greer. Judy Greer. Um, I don't remember her name in the movie. Um, she's so, just Judy Greer. Yeah. So she meets up with her, and, um, both of them in the same bridesmaid's dress, and they get to this wedding. Yeah. So in the middle of vows, you see, uh, James Marston as, uh, I want to say. Dylan or Doyle? No. What is his name? So, here's where it gets complicated. He's got two different names in it, but the name... So, his name, credited in the movie, is Kevin. Kevin, why did I his... so far off? Oh, you, you were close. Okay. In that his, his author name, his byline name, is I want to say Malcolm Doyle. Malcolm Doyle. So, yeah, his last name was, he was Kevin Doyle. That's where I got Doyle. Okay, so I wasn't too far off. So it shows him in the um, audience, mm-hmm. and he starts noticing this bridesmaid up there who keeps checking her watch. And he thought it was odd, but then all of a sudden he notices her as soon as the ceremony's over, running out, catching a cab, and he notices that she's kind of changing her clothes in the back of the cab. Oh, uh, correction, this was not written by a man, this was written by Aline Brosh McKenna. Right. Um, who also wrote The Devil Wears Prada, 20, 27 Dresses, Morning Glory, and We Bought a Zoo. And I apologize for thinking you were a man. <laughs> um, I apologize if that was some uh, other stuff that came through and messed with your work. Again, this was written by a woman and directed by another woman. I apologize <laughs> profusely. So, anyways. So, um... 
So then it shows her at a getting out of the cab at an as a bridesmaid at another wedding where she's wearing a sari. Mm-hmm. And um, so this wedding is the bride is a a white woman marrying an Indian man. And mm-hmm. I say Indian from the country of India, which explains the sari. Um, so anyway, throughout the the five minute scene or however long the scene lasts. Um, it goes back and forth between her going, she, and, oh, at the beginning when she first got in the cab, she offered him $300 to just bust her around all night, as long as he did not look in the rearview mirror. Yeah, because she's and she getting said, changed. Yeah, she's, and she told him that she'll deduct $20 every time he looked in the rearview mirror. Yeah. So, um. Which is really funny, because, I mean, if this guy's a total pervert, there's a certain point where she still owes him a bill, because he's driving her around. Yeah. And he's. And he's running a meter. That's true. <laughs> and also, she—you said three hundred. Yeah. For all night, that's a steal in New York City. Yeah. That is a steal <laughs> in Manhattan. Yeah. So anyway, she's going back and forth all night, and so like Judy Greer at one point is like, um, "Where do you keep disappearing to?" and um, everything, and so I guess that point where. Um, the bride is throwing the bouquet. Um, she's at the first wedding that it showed now, and uh, she's about to catch the bouquet when somebody else knocks her down and knocks her out. And so she wakes up, and James Marston is over her. Yeah, just handsome as <laughs> I'll get out. As I told Betsy last night, he went into the barber and he went, Barber, give me the gym. And he goes, <laughs> Jim Kirk or Jim from the office? He goes, Jim from the office. <laughs> yes. So, um, anyway, so he helps her. He kind of helps her up, and these other girls are trying to crowd around her, trying to see if she's okay. And he goes, oh, she need, we need ice and uh, some sort of alcohol or something, stat. And so these other two girls kind of wobble away. And, and so he helps her up. She, she's like, are you a doctor? He goes, no, they were just getting too close and in my way. So... <laughs> Um, there is the drunk. He's like drunky and drunky. They were too close in my way. So, um, he ends up helping her to a cab because she was woozy, and uh, so they get into the cab that had been that's been taxiing her out all day, and drops her off in front of her building, where she he starts to pay the cab, and she's like, "No, I've got this," because she had already had the arrangement with the cab, and she's like, "Here's hundred and twenty dollars. You know what you did." And so he just kind of looked at her like, what? You know, feeling a little jip there. And then um, she told him not to leave because uh, Kevin was going to be getting back in the cab. So she kind of blows Kevin off because he's trying to get information from her or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, you know, because he's kind of attracted to her. And she ha- she has no interest in him. She thinks she's he's a, a what do you call it, male chauvinist pig. Is that the right? <laughs> like, I don't know. That's like a word I haven't heard in a long time. Yes. But yeah. Anyway, she thinks he's a jerk. That's the thing. She feels like he's a jerk. He's been, he's kind of a little too forward and. Yeah, it's a, it's accurate. Yeah. Anyway. He is a douchebag. <laughs> so she, uh, she gets in, he gets in the cab and uh, realizes she left her, um, planner book. What do they call it? A rotofax or whatever, mm-hmm. which I don't, that's the word I don't know for something like that but it was just a planner it's got all of her appointments all of her stuff cards for different like 
things because as a bridesmaid for some reason she's always the one in charge of all the food and the cake and the dresses and everything so she's got all the connections because apparently that's what people expect of her so um so he finds it and he starts to have the uh, taxi turn around but instead he realizes exactly what he has mm -hmm. and you find out he's a magazine reporter and he's up for articles you know he's trying to get out of the articles that he's been writing and so he's trying to move up so anyway he keeps her planner um, and looks through it and finds out that she's been in nine weddings this year alone yep with several more over the next several weeks she's gonna be in more so he goes to his boss which is Melora. Melora Harden. Melora Harden. And, um... Jane from The Office. Also, the original Jennifer in Back to the Future. Before, uh, Eric... <laughs> Ro uh, not Eric Roberts. Eric, uh... Stoltz got fired and was replaced with, uh... Michael J. Fox. Melora Harden was too tall for Michael <laughs> J. Fox, so she was fired. Um, so he, he went to her, he's like, Hey, I have this great story about this woman who is always a bridesmaid. Like, she's been in so many weddings. And she's like, big whoop. He's like, no, she's been in nine weddings this year alone. And she, there's more like, here's her calendar I found. And so he finally talks her into letting him have this big story. And if the story's a success, he'll get a promotion. Yes. So now his thing is, is he, um, how does this, this work out? He. He sends her flowers, but they're not, um... They're not labeled. They're not labeled. And, uh, he knows where she's gonna be on Thursday. I guess it's Thursday night. We'll say Thursday night. Yes. So, um, so first he, the next day he sends her flowers when she gets back to work out after the weekend. And they're not labeled, so she's trying to figure out who the secret admirer is that sent her flowers. This is when things start falling into place, you realize she's totally in love with her boss who started this company and she is his personal assistant. Beyond his personal assistant. And uh, she does not, never. she never says no to anything he asks or says. Mm -hmm. And um, so she's trying to figure out- Which is a really bad power thing, having. Yeah. Just period. Yes. If you never say no to people, maybe, maybe reevaluate some things. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so she's totally in love with him, but he really, outside of her being the person that goes and gets things for him, he doesn't know she exists. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so she goes over talking to him, and he's like, um, hey, did you get that thing I left for you on my desk? She's like, our relationship is something I didn't know if that was appropriate or not. So now she thinks he gave her the flowers. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh my gosh, he gave me the flowers. Yep. And uh, then uh, I'm trying to remember, like, her sister comes in. When does her sister come in? Her sister comes in. Was that over the weekend? And then she goes back to work on the... So her sister comes in right about this time. Uh, and she, Jane is like, okay, I want, I'm, I've got this thing, this work thing. Uh, tonight, if you want to come, I'd love you to come. And she's like, nah, I think I'm going to go hang out with, with my people instead. Okay, so yeah, so there's the flowers, and then this happens. She gets him at the airport and everything. So 
so yeah, now she's at this party on Thursday night, whatever. Yep. And uh, so that's when he came up and said, "Hey, did you get that thing on my de- on your desk that I left? Is that okay?" And so now she's thinking it's still flowers, and so she's super excited. She goes up to Judy Greer, and she's like, "Oh my gosh, she's the one that left me the flowers!" And she's like, "Go talk to him. Go tell him how you feel." You know, now is the time. And she walks over there, and whoa, Tess is talking to him, and he's all over talking to Tess. Yep. And um. So she's trying to talk, pull him aside, be like, "Hey, I, I want, I need to talk to you and everything." And, and then, so as he's talking to us, he's like, "We, you know, he's like, your sister is a great, you know, I love working with her." She even agreed to go pick up my dry cleaning when I left the receipt on her desk this morning. Mm-hmm. So hold the brakes. He did not send the flowers. So now she's really sad because her sister and her boss are completely hitting it off. Um, and. Uh, you know, like the whole, oh, wow, this is a thing. Uh, sorry. Blah, blah, blah. So anyway, um, as she's going around now, she's like super sad when all of a sudden she runs into Kevin Doyle. Mm-hmm. And she's like, what are you doing here? He's like, well, I thought you might need this. And he holds, holds out her planner. And she's, he's like, you left it in the cab and I thought I'd return it to you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, She's like, thank you. And so I'm trying to remember everything that happened between them that night. Not a lot. Um, she still can't stand the guy. And uh, so he's he's doing an interview piece. Is this when he goes to her apartment? No, this is just when he returns her her file, her planner. Oh well, then. So that was she once again determines. Yeah, I I pegged you right. You're a butthole. Yeah. So, um, so now she's sitting there and, uh, working through things, watching, uh, watching her sister and her boss fall in love. And she realized her sister is, every time her boss says anything that he likes to do, all of a sudden that's what her sister likes to do. Yeah. When she knows the truth, like her sister says, oh, I'm vegan, he's like, or I'm vegetarian. He's like, oh, I'm vegetarian too. And, uh-huh. you know, oh, I love dogs. Um, and talking about all this when she's like, uh, wait a minute, you don't. Yep. You know, but she's trying not to say anything. She, she's trying to be supportive and it's killing her inside watching this love blossom. And uh, so it goes on and then she's going through her daily planner trying to figure out what's next on the list. So what are weddings and all that stuff. When all of a sudden in Sharpie written on almost every page blocking some of the events happening, is Kevin Doyle with his phone number. Mm. And so then it shows Kevin walking down the street with um, Jonathan from the office. And uh, he's like, are you sure she's gonna call? He's like, oh, I guarantee you she's gonna call me. And so all of a sudden his phone rings, they're walking down the sidewalk of New York and he just stops in the middle of the sidewalk miraculously without getting run over by the hordes of people behind him. And and so she's talking, she's like, well, you, you removed two weeks worth of stuff out of my planner, mm-hmm. why? So she's really mad yelling at him about this. And then he's like, don't worry, you'll call me again. She's like, no, I won't, and hung up. So then um, as it goes, goes on, all of a sudden um, her boss is uh, getting ready for something. He's trying to figure out what tie looks, what did you say, less ugly is what he said. And so she helped pick out a tie and he, oh, he didn't know how to tie a tie. She had to tie the tie for him. And so and then she realized he forgot his wallet after he left. And so she looks at his uh, calendar and realizes where he's gonna be. Yep. 
and does what she always does. She takes him his, his wallet and she walks into him getting ready to propose to her sister. So now she's kind of stuck there because her sister walked in right after her. So she's stuck there trying to, I guess he rented out the whole restaurant. Yep. So they were the only ones in there. And so she's trying to get out of there because she's trying not to cry in public. Yep. And uh, every time she tries to move around, the, the stringed instruments that are behind her keep moving around so she can't get out. She's trapped. So she has to watch this whole thing go down. She's totally devastated. Yeah, this more and more feels like a psychological horror movie <laughs> at this point. So, um, and that her sister's been staying with her too. So, like, every time she turns around, she's walking in to uh, just in her own apartment, like all the flowers he's sending her sister, and walking into them making out in the middle of the living room, and just trying to get away from it, but not knowing how. And then, of course, now they're engaged. And of course, it's it's all settled, no matter what, that her sister, that uh, Jane is going to be planning Tessa's wedding. Yeah. And uh, so it's just expected. Um, so as they go and tell their father, you know, that they're getting married, and her father's so excited how, um, oh, you gave Jane a, a, an amazing job right out of college, and now you're bringing my baby girl back home for good because she was uh, she's been traveling the world as a model um, you're bringing her back home for good you're a great man I'm so excited you know that you guys are getting married and then he did something that Jane was not expecting yep he brought out her mother's wedding dress mm. that was supposed to be for Jane yep and gave it to Tess yep and Tess was so excited she's like don't worry Jane you can have it you can still wear it too it's okay mm-hmm. so then as they're going on all of a sudden Tess is like take walking Jane somewhere like okay we're gonna get married here at this boathouse where mom and dad got married which was where Jane wanted to have her wedding eventually and so Jane's really upset like you're taking everything and she's like when's the booking for she's like well they didn't have anything for 18 months but then I got a call this morning and it's available in three weeks and she's like well I can't plan a wedding in three weeks she's like you're magic you can do it and so she starts putting all this extra stress yes on Jane to plan her wedding in three weeks at the place where Jane always dreamed about getting married and using her mother's wedding dress that was supposed to be for Jane as the oldest child. Um, And so they're going on and she's just going through the motions, getting a wedding cake, uh, make, you know, person, baker that specializes in these gorgeous wedding cakes. Mm -hmm. Um, He's like, I can't do a wedding cake in three weeks. And so Jane talked to him about how, you know, we did this, I worked with you, all these things, and I feel like you owe it to me to do this for my sister. And so she got him to agree to making a rush wedding cake in three weeks with a big discount. Mm-hmm. Which I'm like, that's kind of strange. You're doing this plus requesting a discount because you're such a good customer. I'm like, uh. Anyway, so um, they do all this. When all of a sudden, um, Kevin walks in, and Tess is like calling him. What we say, Malcolm. Mm-hmm. She's like, "Oh, hi, Malcolm. He's doing a doing a piece on um, on brides and grooms or a wedding piece and all this. He's writing about our 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 wedding, our our love, whatever." Um, and so Jane's like, "You lied to me. You said your name was Kevin." He's like, "Well, Kevin is my name, but 
when I print stuff, it, I go by Malcolm. Which is his middle name. Which, yeah, which is his middle name. I guess I missed that part. Anyway, so, uh, so they have this little, you know, dispute at the cake. And then, um, it goes on. So then he starts talking to her. Like, he shows up at her apartment. He's like, part of the piece is I got to talk to all the friends and family about of the bride and groom. And, you know, everything. And so he comes into her apartment and all of a sudden he sees this closet that cannot close because it is filled to the brim with big, poofy bridesmaids dresses. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what's that? And she's trying to run in front of it and hide it from him. And, of course, you know, she can't. And so he talks her into um, basically doing a little uh, uh, fashion show with all these different bridesmaids dresses and taking pictures of her in each and every one of them and the stories behind each bride. So then, um, let's see, after that they go to a fitting for her sister as she's having her mom's dress altered to fit her. When they bring out the dress and she puts it on and Jane looks up at Tess, she's like, that's not mom's dress. And she's like, oh, pieces of it are. So the belt was from the mom's dress. And a little piece that was kind of inside the hide that hid the cleavage mm-hmm. was cut out from the mom's dress. And so then they handed her this pile of scraps. Yep. And said, here's the rest of the dress. You can have it when you get married. Mm-hmm. It was completely cut to shreds. Yep. And nothing was salvageable. And she just said, I can't do this anymore. I quit. And mm-hmm. walked out. Um, that's the first time she said no. Oh, and throughout this this time, you know, Kevin's been telling her she needs to say no to things. Because, you know, especially after the, the whole trying on 27 dresses. It's like, you know, you keep saying yes to these. You're running yourself ragged. Yeah. Um, you're not happy. Um, so then... I'm getting things mixed up here. I guess before the wedding dress fiasco, she was having lunch with her boss to try the food that they were trying to do for the, um, you know, to sample the, the food for the reception. Yeah. When Kevin walked into that and he saw how she was looking at him. Yeah. Like her face was bright and happy and he that's when things made sense to him. That she was kind of mooning over, over, uh, her boss and so he uh, they had to go look at some linens and stuff and so the boss the, Kevin volunteered to go with her to do that since uh, Tess all of a sudden couldn't go yeah and um, so so our boss like oh well, yeah that would be great while while Jane's looking at him like how dare you you know this is my time with him you know so now it shows them all of a sudden they're driving in the pouring rain like, I mean, the rain was not convincing to me. It looked like they were under a waterfall intentionally. <laughs> it did not look like convincing rainfall. Well, that's, that's, <laughs> how, that's how you do it. You, you sit inside the fake car. You, yeah. do the, you do the rear projection driving. And then, and then you go to the set with the, the already wrecked car. Yeah. Um, you you call it hydroplaning, even though what what they do is an intentional uh, yeah braking and then driving off the road. So they're driving and she's just kind of laying into Kevin about the um about you know 
stepping in this place and taking over, you know, she's like, I was supposed to be going with him. And he's like, you're in love with him. So fun fact, every time you say Kevin, when you're telling this story, I keep imagining Kevin from the office. <laughs> and I admit, I, I imagine, uh, what's his name? Just in the car, just like telling her, yeah, this is you Brian sh- Baumgarten, uh, something like that. Just saying, no, you you shouldn't say yes to that. Yeah. And I, I just uh, every time I imagine that whenever you say Kevin, <laughs> that's hilarious. And so uh, on that note, we're gonna take a quick break because we're running out of yeah. uh, out of recording for this uh, particular section. When we come back, we're gonna be back for the next section of Twenty Seven Dresses. <laughs> driving super fast in like this waterfall downpour and uh and he keeps saying um hey why don't you slow down so i can read this sign and she flies past the sign uh-huh. and he's like no seriously slow down we're gonna hide your plane which at that moment they hide your plane i'm putting quotes in that yeah. um after mark already explained what we saw was not hydroplaning and they go off the road probably by 150 feet they almost crash into a tree but just barely miss it but then now they're stuck and it's pouring rain. There's no signal. They're out in the middle of nowhere. I have no idea where they were going. They were just going somewhere to look at antique linens. Uh-huh. So then I guess they start walking in the rain and they find themselves at a bar. And she is, she's mad. Uh-huh. And they get, they look for the payphone trying to get help and the payphone is out. So um, Kevin goes and asks the bartender if he, they could use the phone. And, uh, or no, or does she ask the bartender if they can use a phone? And then he just sits there and orders a drink. And she's like, uh, we can't drink. He's like, we're going to be here for a while. Just one drink. You take a drink too. And so she's like, okay, one drink. And then next thing you know, their hair is dry. Everything's dry. And then who knows how many drinks they've had. They're drunk. Yep. And so then all of a sudden, somebody a song comes on and they start dancing and singing really loud. Next thing you know, they're all on top of the counter singing and dancing. And the whole bar is like cheering them on. So then, next thing you know, they're they're in the car. Um, yeah, doing things. <laughs> you can you can say having sex. I I have met most of our listeners, and I assure you that most of them are not only married but sexually active. It is okay. It is okay to have sex. Say have sex. It is okay to have sex. It is. It it's kind of weird to have hate sex with someone after you've had a few too many drinks. Yeah, but that's basically what they did. Yes, and this is this is the romantic moment. Yes. So they it goes through all that, and then it shows them next morning in the diner as they're car is getting towed out they finally got somebody to come tow their car out the sun shining yeah and uh 
And she looks at him, she's like, seriously, I never do that. He's like, I know, you said it like 20 times last night. And so as we're talking, all of a sudden people that were in the bar comes up and starts going, hey, I remember you, and whatever song, I don't remember the song that they were all singing to. Benny like, and the Jets. Okay, Benny and the Jets and everything. Like, yay, yay. So a few people come up to him with that. And then all of a sudden the, um, the waitress came up and looked at Jane and said, hey, it's you. She's like, I know, Benny and the Jets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, no. From this article, and uh, yeah, this, I forgot about this it. article in the eighth most circulated newspaper <laughs> that doesn't exist out in the middle of Podunkville, nowhere. nowhere. So I need to back up just a little bit. I'm sorry. Um, before all of this went down, where they were off together, his his boss had asked to see the article he was writing about the girl in the 27 dresses. Yeah. And he's like, it is not finished. She's like, well, email it to me anyway. And so then she said, it's good. I'm going to publish it on Sunday. And he's like, don't do that. It's not finished. And there's still, I do not do it. So he begged her. She finally agreed to not publish it on Sunday. So now we're back there. And so she's like, hey, it's you. And then she shows her this article. And uh, she looks at him. She's like, what? You used me. And, um, like, she's really mad at him and and everything. And whatever good was going on between them after the night was done. It's the, the break in the relationship. The yep. trust has been broken. And, like, he's mad because he's like, that was not supposed to be published. I did not give permission for that to be done. And he's like, I was going to tell you before it came out. I, I had no idea. So she's still mad because that was not what he said he was writing. He said he was writing about the bride and groom, but instead he wrote a complete article on her, which was what he was sitting out to do. He just kind of lied about it. Yeah. So he's still being a jerk. Um. So goes forward. He goes to his boss. He's like, "You said you weren't gonna, you weren't gonna publish it." And she said, "Well, I changed my mind." And so now he's mad, but she's like, "Hey, it got you a promotion. It's it's a huge hit." And. So now he's still frustrated because he got what he wanted, but now, you know, the girl that he's been kind of crushing on is not going to talk to him. Yeah. So it goes on, and uh, he, let's see here. She meets up with her sister, and her sister, um, This I guess this was before the dress incident, but her sister... Um, gives her a list of things to talk about because now Tess doesn't trust Jane because of all the things that were said in the article about her, you know, working with bridezillas and now how the brides and bridezillas didn't expect too much of her. So, you know, her sister took that as a thing against her. Yeah. Which totally pushed her into being, you know, before she was just kind of pushy and expectant, but this pushed her over the edge to where now she is being a bridezilla. Yeah. And she, um, she gave her, she gave her a speech to say during their uh, rehearsal dinner thing that night. And she's like, "Do you think you can follow this? I want you to say exactly what's on this paper." And so now she's taken over. So her sister's not doing things except she's given her a list of things to do. Um, so one of the things is pulling pictures together from Tess's childhood and teenage years, whatever, growing up, and from the bosses. I don't remember his name anyway. George. George. That's why don't I remember George? So things from both it's of them. It's a dumb name. If your name's George, <laughs> go get a better name. 
It's only a few hundred bucks. Just go down to the courthouse, get a new name. So, um, so now not only has she done all this thing and butchered her mother's dress, she's finally like, she's finally or she's like, you know what? He needs to know the truth. You know, because now she's been lying to him, and one of the things he had said to Jane was, one thing I love about your sister is she's so real and honest about everything. Oh. And that's when Jane went and told her, she's like, you need to tell him the truth about who you are yeah. and what you do. And so she's like, no, just stick to the script. Don't go off of it. So it goes to this rehearsal dinner. And so she's reading everything that Tess wrote down about their relationship that's supposed to be Jane's words. Yeah. How Jane feels about Tess and George. And as she's doing it, the photos in the back, at first it started off all cute with cute pictures of childhood. But then it's like, you know, and they look, they both love animals. And it shows him like all snugly with with a, a dog or something. And then it shows Tess holding a cat upside down and away from her like, ew. Yeah. And so he's kind of looking like, okay. And then it's just going through all these different things and like, how in college, you know, they both had these good academics or whatever, and it shows him graduating with honors, where it shows her being the um, the ditzy blonde kind of only there for the guys kind of picture in skimpy clothes and not paying attention to anything. So then as it goes on, it says they're both vegetarians, and it shows, you know, humanity work and all that stuff, and so... It shows, I can't remember what show for him on that one slide, but then for sister, it shows her in a ribs eating contest. Mm -hmm. And you clearly see the engagement ring on her finger, so you know it's after they were engaged. Yep. And so it goes through all these things, and now George is looking at Tess like he has no idea who this woman is sitting next to him. Yeah. And so he walks off and she runs after him. No, before that, so then, uh, back up uh so pedro we I haven't talked about pedro pedro is a, in the big brother program that my gosh this has more twists i know and turns i know i know season of loss sorry it's because i'm telling the story are we in the hatch are we out of the hatch have we met desmond yet? so all i'm gonna say about pedro is he is like he's like in the big brother program and he's been close you know george kind of took him through the big in the big brother program so he's kind of mentoring him yes so he's at this thing and you find out so Tess has been paying him to clean her house when George is not around yeah and George has no no clue so um Judy Greer gets up there trying to break the tension now that Jane just caused with her pictures and she says hey uh Pedro has a um he has something he wants to share about George and Tess and he's talking about how Tess is helping him start up his own house cleaning business and how right now Tess and George is the only clients. Mm -hmm. And George looks at Tess like, what the heck? You know, this 12-year-old kid is cleaning our apartment. Yeah. And uh, so that's when George walks out and Tess follows. And then she walks up to Jane and says, the wedding's been called off and it's all your fault. And she's like, you should have been honest. So now there's a rupture in the relationship between Tess and Jane, which that that rupture was already there because Tess took the man that Jane was in love with, but Jane was not letting on all of that. Yeah. So as it goes on, um, their dad is trying to get them to talk, and so they talk a little bit, but they're still not. Things are still not good. Mm -hmm. And so next thing you know, uh, Jane go is back in the office at work 
pulling some things together when George walks in. Now, I'm kind of foggy. I don't remember exactly what was said, but he asked her to do something and she's on her way to do it. And he's, he, he said one more thing. I don't remember what he said, but she just stopped and just thought about everything. Like, you could just see it. And she looked at him and she's like, you know what? No, I quit. Yeah. She's like, I can't do this anymore. And he is so confused. And he's like, what do you mean you quit? She's like, I quit. She's like, I've been in love with you since day one. And I just, I can't do this anymore. I've had this big crush on you and it's just not, I can't do this. Yep. And so as she turns to leave, he grabs her and kisses her. And then she steps back and then she started laughing. And he's like, well, she's like, you know what? She's like, I didn't feel anything. That was not what I expected it to be. Cause now she was all excited. Wait, he just kissed me. Wait, what? And then um, he kisses her again. He's like, what about that time? She's like, uh, he's like, yeah, me neither. And so she leaves. And then she, uh... Yep, that's the way you know that you feel something for someone or not. Exchange <laughs> bodily fluids. <laughs> if, if, you, if you don't exchange bodily fluids, your emotions don't work. You're just, it's like gas. You, you gotta have that saliva and other stuff. If you don't, you just... You, no emotions. It's like trying to start a lawnmower without gas. You're just out of luck. Yeah. Anyway, so she goes uh, to the... To all of you who are now gagging, you're welcome. She goes to the magazine and it says, Hey, where's Kevin? I need to see Kevin. And... Um, you, yeah, the goal is the onions. <laughs> the onions are the secret ingredient. <laughs> Uh, James Marsden. Okay. <laughs> so, um, and then you have the guy that, uh, his friends throughout the movie, who is now in the position that he had beforehand. He has now been promoted to this new position that James Marsden just vacated to have his promotion. Yep. And so, um, he's like, well, he's not here. He's covering his last wedding. Because that's what he did before. He covered weddings and he hated it because he hated weddings. Yeah, he was in the commitment section. Yes. Commitment section. So she, he's like, he's actually at his last wedding and here's where it's at. She's like, I have to go see him. So she shows up to this wedding when the bride immediately recognized her. Like, oh my gosh, you're that girl. And she's like, hey, I have to, I need to find find Kevin and I know he's here. So she gets up on the stage in front of all these strangers saying, Kevin, Kevin Doyle, where are you? And all of a sudden he's like, and she, the bride's like, oh, there he is. This is so fun. Like, and so then she starts talking about how, you know, she always she thought she hated him and all this stuff and but how their fights have made her a better person and how she's in love with him. All right. So then she she walks off the stage. She's she like, that's all I have to say. And then she walks off the stage. She um and as she's walking, thinking that now he's just gonna walk away and they're not gonna you know he doesn't care. And of course he meets her in the middle and they kiss and then it flashes it jumps forward to a year later where it's her wedding to him and uh and as guests are coming then George shows up to the wedding and Tess is there and Tess in introduces herself in an honest way and she talks to, she tells him all the things that she had lied about mm -hmm. like she's like so I eat a hamburger every day and I really don't care for animals. <laughs> Every day. Yeah, that's what she does this, say that. This woman who's easily a size zero yeah. is, I eat 
3,000 calories a day. I never work out. <laughs> I probably have an eating disorder. So yeah, so that she tells him all these things. He's like, well, it's nice to meet you, Tess. I'm George. Like, so they kind of, you know, you can see it's gonna spark up where they will eventually get married. Yeah. So now it's going through that and then it shows um, uh, Judy Greer walking down the aisle in the pretty bridesmaid's dress that she picked out. And then her sister in the same bridesmaid's dress walking down the aisle as the maid of honor. And then the bride comes. And so as it's going on and they're saying their, they're saying their, um, their vows, all of a sudden it pans out to all the bridesmaids. And cause you think there's only two. Yep. But then it pans out and she made uh, every single bridesmaid this wear. Is, this is Jane and Kevin. Jane and Kevin are getting married, yeah. So it pans out to all the bridesmaids wearing the dresses that she, they made her wear. Yes. So 27 bridesmaids each wearing their different themed dresses that look super uncomfortable wear. Now her sister and Judy Greer are wearing nice comfy it's a beach wedding too so they're wearing appropriate dresses for a beachfront wedding yes. and all this and all of them are wearing these uncomfortable looking dresses and it's like i knew there'd be a use for these one day okay. and so anyway and that's how it ends so a question i have after that long journey, sorry <laughs> uh that that was 40 minutes of plot that's the uh, most i've ever talked on this i know it's the most you've ever talked on this uh so what is what is the moral of this uh, story? What is what is the lesson to be learned? Is it that torture is okay <laughs> as long as both parties are on the receiving end? Uh, what's what's the what's th the lesson? I think the lesson is learning to be able to stand up for yourself and to be able to tell people no. Okay. Um, to not be like she was. She was basically a carpet for people to walk over and get what get what they wanted, and she just took it because she wanted to be the good, the good bridesmaid, the good friend, the good sister, the good daughter, the good uh, assistant. Yes. Um, she was a people pleaser, but all that got her was the heartache of just doing what everybody else wanted and not getting what she wanted ever. Um, which there are times that that's good and times that what you want isn't necessarily good. So, you know, it just, that's a different thing. But, but just learning how to say no and just set healthy boundaries, which is one thing she did not have until the end. Yeah. Anyway, that's my tale of 27 dresses. <laughs> and maybe I won't ever talk that much again, but maybe I will. I, I gotta be honest. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that you... A paid enough attention and and remembered enough to literally do that from memory. <laughs> I I think I prompted you a couple times, but you I think beat for beat you you I'm, hit every moment. I had to memory. backtrack a couple times, and I'm really impressed because usually even for the next day after, my brain usually just like okay I can't remember anymore that's it. But it, I like that movie I guess. <laughs> for a for a podcast called Favorite Things, I would hope you would. Okay, is there anything else you want to say about 27 Dresses before we take a quick break and then come back with WandaVision? Um, no, I think I said it all. I think it's a really... <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a really cute movie. If you like 
rom-coms or chick flicks and if that's one that you have not seen i'm sure i did not get everything correct on there if you watch it, you'd be like oh that's not right that's not what was said that's not how it went the reason it's, people listen to us is for being correct right <laughs> so um but yeah it's a it's a really cute movie if you like that kind of thing i do and so yeah all right we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about episodes four through six of WandaVision, and that'll be our show for today. And we are back. Uh, we spent over an hour talking about 27 dresses. Uh, and uh, if uh, if you stayed with us and that's not your bag, God bless you. You're a <laughs> special sort of person. Um, and uh, I'm sorry we did that to you. Not really. I I gotta be honest. If if you don't like that and you listen through it, why? There's other things to listen to. Anyhow. Uh, if you stuck with us and you're still listening to hear about WandaVision. Um, so I really enjoy the turn this show takes at this middle point in the show. Uh-huh. So we went through the first three episodes. We get the first episode by and large plays out almost shot for shot like a, a bewitched episode. Yeah. Um, there's, there's one or two little things, but nothing that really says hey this is very different the next one is a lot more different uh we get the voices coming from outside um we get the the feeling that something's off um the third episode really plays into that and at the end geraldine the name i could not remember last week uh the one uh black woman in town uh says something off that seems to not fit with the world around Wanda and Vision uh, about Ultron killing Wanda's uh, brother Pietro. All of a sudden Geraldine disappears uh, and we zoom outside of the world of the WandaVision show, uh, a world that's a lot more cinematic, and Geraldine comes flying out and is surrounded by sword vehicles. S period, W o period, O period, and so on. Um, I'm not going to spell the whole thing. I'm not going to do a minute-by-minute minute breakdown of all of this. Who am I, Betsy? Yeah, thank you. Hey, if I can't make fun of you, then I probably should. Anyhow. <laughs> um, so... We jump into this show, and I didn't mention the titles last week of the episodes, and I really like the episode titles for these uh, episodes. The first one was filmed before a live studio audience, the second one was Don't Touch That Dial, and the third one was Now in Color. And so that brings us to this week, and the first episode title is We Interrupt This Program. And that's a very clever title because the bulk of the episode has nothing to do with the inside of WandaVision. We actually get to see what has been happening through these first three episodes. 
And so uh, we start at the beginning of the episode uh, with uh, Geraldine, as we knew her, uh, coming back from after the blip, the uh, snap that Thanos did in Avengers Infinity War, undone in Avengers Endgame. Uh, everyone is brought back. All of a sudden, all these people are coming back into uh, matter after being uh, wiped out of existence, and the hospital is filling up. Uh, we find out that Geraldine is actually actually Monica Rambeau, um, the daughter of the best friend of Captain Marvel from the film of the same name, and she is all grown up. Um, we find out that Monica's mother, Maria, has died of cancer um, after just being told, apparently moments before she vanished, that it was in remission. And so uh, we follow her. She goes to uh, S.W.O.R.D. headquarters, where apparently she's employed, where she meets her new commander, former contemporary, uh, and is told, hey, I'm in charge now. And she goes, well, I guess you should be because you're the only choice. And so she is sent on assignment to Westview, uh, to Westview, New Jersey, to find out what is going on. When she arrives, she meets Jimmy Woo from Ant-Man and the Wasp, played by Randall, Randall Park. And first of all, I adore <laughs> Randall Park. I loved him on Fresh Off the Boat. That was my first real recognition of him. I'd seen him before as fake Jim on The Office. Yes. But uh, Fresh Off the Boat was my first real heavy dose of Randall Park. And he's phenomenal. I also love him in Always Be My Maybe. Um, and I, I want more and more Randall Park, yeah. honestly. Because he's just a funny dude. We just started a show on NBC... Uh, with him and Ed Helms where they interview people about their real life stories and then they're reenacted drunk history style. Yes. But nobody's drunk telling these stories. From uh, what you could tell. From what you could... Uh, they may not be drunk during the telling, but I'm pretty uh. sure there was some drunk involved in the doing. Yeah. But anyhow, um, back to this. Um, so... Jimmy Woo, played by Randall Park, uh, introduces himself to Monica, and they're meeting with, uh, like, Sheriff's Department deputies who say that the city, whose sign they're right next to, doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And so they talk a little bit. They're like, hey, this is kind of weird. Um, let's, uh, let's see what's going on. And so Monica fires up a drone that... Uh, she sends towards the city and it disappears. And it's like, oh, that's weird. Um, and goes towards where it disappeared and gets sucked inside. 24 hours later, uh, all sorts of trucks are pulling up along the perimeter. Uh, in one of those trucks is Darcy, the science assist scientist assistant from Thor and Thor the Dark World, played by Kat Dennings. Uh, and it's a whole batch of experts trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, as Darcy is doing her work, getting readings on what is going on inside of the phenomenon, uh, she finds that a uh, signal is coming out that is visual. 
and that visual broadcast can be picked up by old school televisions. Uh, and this is the WandaVision show that we have been watching. And so they're watching everything that's going on inside. We find out that the kind of end cap of the first episode, uh, someone watching and making notes on the show, is Darcy. Yeah. And what's going on is they're trying to figure out what is happening inside this world. They're just as confused as we were in the first few episodes. And so as they're watching, they notice uh, that Monica is Geraldine inside the episode. They also notice that little blips happen where the show kind of edits itself and, and cuts things out. It will cut away from situations. And it's leading up to what we saw in the last episode where uh, Geraldine mentions Ultron and then all of a sudden cuts to credits. They're like, whoa, what happened? And all of a sudden, the perimeter of uh, what they're affectionately calling the Hex explodes with activity. Monica comes flying out and we go, whoa, what just happened? We see on the inside what happened uh, as Wanda sends Monica flying through all the houses in the neighborhood and out the outside of the hex and then resets the world around them. And this is our first real, real solid evidence that it's not Wanda who's a victim. She's probably controlling this. Yeah. And so that's the end of uh, We Interrupt This Program. We come back uh, with on a very special episode. Um, oh, I forgot one important note. Uh, when Vision returns from outside, she sees Vision uh, not as a healthy living being, but as he appeared immediately after being killed by Thanos, uh, with a hole in his head and looking very zombie-like. Next episode, on a very special episode, uh, the intro feels very much like Growing Pains, uh, with, uh, hand-drawn animation, uh, it's, um, kind of full house Charles in Charge-like in its setting, uh, Wanda and Vision are trying to figure out uh, how to deal with uh, their two children who are growing up really quick. They go from babies to five years old, like almost instantly. Uh, they say they want a dog. And when Wanda and Vision are like, no, I don't think that... Uh, You're not old enough. Yeah, uh, they age themselves up to 10 years old. Um, and Vision goes to work. He's like, everything's really off. Uh, he uses his ability to break the spell around, uh, one of his co-workers and finds out that his co-worker is being psychologically tortured. He intercepts an email from outside the, the hex of what's going on. And he is starting to feel that things are off. Um, and has evidence of it. Uh, 
And throughout this process, you feel like there's a distance between him and Wanda. Like he's starting to think. Yeah, she's there. she is acting. She's acting like someone who is in deep, deep, deep denial, and yeah. he he is trying just to figure out what's going on. Uh, He's not trusting her. No, because she's not opening up. She is, everything has to be um, perfect. And something I really like about this show is it really illustrates, in in a heightened way, in, in the same way that sitcoms or anything else do, it really illustrates how people deal with things um, that are hard. And so... In the first couple of episodes, you are dealing with a person who's dealing with things like they would in the 50s and 60s. It's it's very heightened. It's very I Love Lucy. It's very Bewitched. But when you start getting to this 80s and 90s realm of, of television, in the same way that television evolved, we get to see that emotionally these characters are progressing and and it's not as heightened as it was in the 50s and 60s and that's where the very special episode of it all comes through i remember my brother complaining uh back when we lived together about the episode of the sitcom that would inevitably come about where it was the serious episode when you just wanted to laugh on this but they would deal with some serious heavy stuff and that was something that came about in the 80s and 90s um and i want to say it was a mandate like from the broadcasters of you had to deal with a serious issue whether it was drug abuse or um gun violence or uh or someone dying you you had to deal with it to educate um and some people like it some people don't um I appreciate that it shows how far we came in entertainment to where TV was not something just in form or just entertain, but it could do both. And so throughout this episode, they're kind of struggling with things. They get a dog, the dog dies and Wanda is talking to her kids and they're, and they're crying and the kids are asking Wanda, Hey, bring the dog back. And it's this deeper conversation because as they start talking about bringing back, bringing back, Vision walks up. And we as the viewer who has seen other Marvel properties knows know that Vision died. Yeah. And so we know when they're talking about the dog, they're not just talking about the dog to Wanda. They're talking about Vision. And so she tells the kids, you can't do that. You can't. Dead is dead. Dead is dead. You can't, you can't bring him back. And so... It's this, again, the very special episode of it all. And they go home and they put the kids to bed and Wanda and Vision have a fight. And she goes to turn off the fight and starts the credits. And and she she's like, oh, well, I guess that's how things roll. And he's like, no, no. The, the town is messed up. Something is going on. And the credits are rolling. And she is trying to walk away and avoid it. And he will not let her. To the point where he is he is ready to confront her physically. And they both power up like they're going to have a, a superhero fight. And they, they kind of wind down to the point where they're ill at ease with each other. But they're not about to start shooting stuff. Yeah. And all of a sudden there's a knock at the door. 
and the door opens and there's a silver haired guy who says, hey sis, you gonna let me in? Now here's where it's fun is that it's not Aaron Taylor Johnson who played her brother in Avengers Age of Ultron, but it's Evan Peters who played the same character from a different universe. <laughs> uh, uh, Quicksilver in X-Men Days of Future Past, X-Men Apocalypse, and the movie we didn't talk about, X-Men Dark Phoenix. Uh, Evan Peters is playing someone claiming to be her brother. And so immediately, watching this last year, immediately we're like, oh, we know the multiverse is coming. It's it's another version of her brother. And, and it's crazy that they're doing this. And... Uh, uh, I'm going to go ahead and spoil this for you in an episode we're not going to talk about. It. It's not her brother. Um, but it's someone who has all of those abilities. And so we get to the next episode. And whereas uh, a very special episode was all about uh, the 80s and 90s, this one is full on late 90s. Malcolm uh, in the Middle. <laughs> it's very much Malcolm in the Middle. It's called the all new Halloween Spooktacular. And it's got a little Malcolm in the Middle. It's got a little Boy Meets World. It starts with an opening narration by, I believe it's Tommy. Um, but uh, Tommy and Billy want to spend Halloween um, trick-or-treating with their with their uncle. Their uncle, who's so cool. And uh, they actually uh, get to wear the costumes that the comic book characters of Billy and Tommy wear of Wiccan and Speed, uh, who have the powers of, uh, Wiccan has the the powers of the mother, uh, Wanda Maximoff, and Speed has the powers of her brother, uh, Quicksilver. And so we get an episode where uh, Vision is gonna go, he says he's going on patrol in the neighborhood. And Wanda is gonna go with her brother and the kids to go trick or treating. And so while Wanda's walking around uh, and uh, Pietro, Peter, her brother is being an heir-do-well and, and helping the kids play all sorts of pranks, Vision is off doing his own thing. And eventually Wanda runs into one of the other neighborhood watch guys who says, oh, Vision's not on tonight. <laughs> and when we go over to Vision, we find out that he's patrolling the area trying to figure out what's going on in the town and Wanda talks to Pietro at one point and he's asking her he's like she's trying to figure out if it's really Pietro she's asking hard questions like hey do you remember the name of that lady who was in the in the town with us and he's like you're testing me you're trying to make sure it's really me and he goes, all I can remember is getting gunned down and then I'm here uh, because I knew you needed me. And for her, that's enough. But when she glances at him, again, like Vision in one of the previous episodes, she sees dead Pietro with bullet holes all over him. And so things are not right. As Vision gets to the edge of town, he notices that people are moving less and less. Um, they're stuck in little ruts of movement. Uh, things are just off. He goes over, he sees a car headed out of town that's just kind of frozen at an intersection, and inside is Agnes. Um, Catherine Hahn, decked out as a witch, 
just inside, and she is uh, just not okay. Uh, and she asks him, she's like, hey, you're you're one of the Avengers, right? And, and he goes, yeah, I am the Vision. What's an Avenger? And then immediately, as a viewer, we know something's off. He can't remember anything from his time outside of this town. Mm-hmm. And so she tells him, she goes, am I dead? And he goes, no, why? And she goes, because you are. And so Vision zaps her to where she's back under the control of the town and tries to leave the town. As he goes to leave the perimeter, we see outside, excuse me, they are watching Vision leave. Uh, We have found out during all of this that uh, Monica's DNA has been warped. Uh, Her clothes have been been warped uh, by the hex by traveling through it multiple times. Um, things are off. She is trying to figure out how to get back in to confront uh, Wanda because she can tell that Wanda is traumatized. As we as we figure this out, as we as we see this, Vision is exiting, and as he comes out of the hex, he is being torn apart. Uh, I believe it's Tommy. I always mix up which is which. Uh, Tommy says. I can hear dad, dad's in trouble. And so Wanda immediately goes into action. I forgot to mention that uh, in the last episode, she came out and confronted everybody. Uh, oh yeah, out of the, out of the hex. Yes. Yeah. In, in this one, uh, Vision starts getting torn apart. Uh, so she immediately starts expanding it. And as she expands it, the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, Darcy, everyone is taken into this town, transformed on the inside. Um, Jimmy and Monica get away, as does uh, Chief D-Bag of S.W.O.R.D. I don't know his name, and it's honestly not important until he pops up in another property. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, all of this happens, and that leaves us with an expanded town. Wanda is still in control somehow, and things are going sideways. Yeah. And there's a lot I want to say. Uh, there's a lot that I've, I've skipped over intentionally. Things like uh, Monica was shown video of Wanda stealing Vision's body, stuff like that, stuff that's going to come back. And I can't really dig too deep into yeah. it. There are also some things that I've themes that I've alluded to in this episode that really come into play in the last three episodes yeah. of this. And I'm gonna have a lot more to say next week. But I love just six episodes into this show, I love A, how true they are to the feel of television for each of, of these eras that they're kind of traveling through. Um whether it's aspect ratios, uh, where it's the, uh, initially it's the four, three, and it's gradually getting bigger. Anytime we come, uh, back into the quote unquote real world, it's very much the cinematic with the uh, letterbox bars above and beneath, just like if you were watching a Marvel movie. Um, I, I love the acting. The performances are terrific. Um, 
I, I love modern prestige television, especially these Disney Plus television shows, because it really feels like just a smaller budget movie. Yeah. And when you've got more time with the characters, it's very easy to get attached to them. So I really enjoy it. What What do you think so far as as we're going back through this? I mean, like with most things, I know it was what a year ago or less than a year ago when we yes. watched it for the first time. Um, I've forgotten everything about it, so I've been enjoying going back through it and being surprised at certain things. Like, whoa, wait, what just happened? Yeah. But it's like it's fun to watch. It's some moments it's kind of hard, and mm-hmm. but it's been really good. I've been enjoying it. Yeah. So. I, I really enjoy this. Uh, I do briefly want to address something. It, it's kind of been bothering me. This is a, this is a bee in my bonnet. Um, so this is Mark's soapbox. I'm gonna I'm gonna get on for a second. I, I do this at least once an episode. But there is something wrong with fandom right now around these types of shows where expectations get set by people of what. A show is gonna be mm-hmm. whether it's this or Star Wars book of Boba Fett um, where people get in their mind what they want the show or movie to be and when it's not that thing it's bad yeah rather than taking it on its own terms I'll, I'll use 27 dresses as mm-hmm. as an example 27 dresses is a good rom-com yeah 27 Dresses is a horrible Star Wars movie. Yes. (laughs) But 27 Dresses isn't trying to be a Star Wars movie. Right. Uh, In a similar manner, WandaVision is a bad two-hour movie. Yeah. But it's not trying to be a movie. Right. A lot of people treat these, uh, these shows as... Marvel movies and I feel like that's a mistake in the same way that treating trying to treat the Star Wars TV shows like Star Wars movies is a mistake I think we kind of have to come to these television programs on their own terms and if we like them awesome we keep tuning in we talk about how much we like them and if we don't guys there is so much good stuff out there we really need to stop ragging on them online because we're just wasting sideways energy and giving free commercials to stuff we don't like yeah so instead maybe we should just praise the stuff we like and ignore the stuff we don't yeah so this is this has been my my soapbox to fandoms everywhere of just maybe can we just be positive and when we got criticism that's anything but constructive Maybe we just move on. And if it's constructive criticism and we don't know the people, maybe we keep it to ourselves. Yeah. Or just do a podcast about it. There you go. Yeah, do a podcast. Anyhow. Yeah. I'm off my soapbox. I'm <laughs> I'm really enjoying watching through this again. I can't wait to go back through and once we finish this, do Loki. And, and what if the more stuff I'm seeing out of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, the more excited I'm getting. Yeah. Um, and I'm getting excited for a number of reasons. One... I really like Doctor Strange. I'm, I'm hoping to revisit Doctor Strange before the, the movie. But at the very least, I want to do these shows because it's it's where Marvel is right now. It's it's these shows, by and large. We've had a couple of movies, but the shows are really grabbing me in a way that the movies since Endgame haven't. Yeah. And so I'm, 
I'm really enjoying this. I'm looking forward to next week. There's so much stuff I want to talk about thematically that this show deals with that's been really apt for the past two years. And uh, I can't wait to talk about it. So, guys, thank you so much for sticking with us. I know we talked about WandaVision approximately half as long as we <laughs> talked about 27 Sorry, Dresses. Guys. If you're if you're one of our listeners who is here just for WandaVision, sorry about that. And uh, if you weren't, I hope you at least enjoyed the ride of two people coming and sharing stuff that they enjoyed. Next week, we'll be back with WandaVision plus whatever Betsy wants to talk about. We'll see. Uh, whether it's a movie, television show, recipe, or whatnot, Betsy will have something to talk about. Yeah. So, guys, thank you for tuning in. We will see you next week. I hope until then you will enjoy all of your favorite things. Bye. You want to say anything else besides bye? I, I. Y'all have a great day. There you go. We, you got it. <laughs> now you can say bye. Bye. Okay.